Way City Church, located in Woodbridge, Virginia, is led by Pastor Marlon Yearwood and exists to reach the lost and disciple the believer. Today we strategically find ourselves toward the end of Matthew's Gospel. And it's within the 27th chapter of this Gospel that Jesus introduces to us a new individual. There has been no mention of him until this point. He is a new character within the story. This individual, he will appear and disappear within the same chapter. And he will leave us all asking many questions. There's probably no man in all of the Bible that I myself identify with more than the man that we're going to speak about today. I didn't actually realize how much we have in common until recently. So then, who is this individual? Who is this man that we are speaking about today? Most read past him and see him as insignificant. But today, we're going to take our time and we're going to get to know him. And we're going to hear what the text has to say about him, and I pray that the Spirit would reveal to you his significance. He's mentioned in the five first books of the New Testament. He's mentioned in every gospel, and then the book of Acts refers to him without actually saying his name, and he kind of just shows up, and it seems to be randomly, right at the end of the story and people wonder what is his position what is his place and why is he here what is his purpose well let's start with the mystery man's name his name is Barabbas his name is Barabbas some of you are even wondering as I said that Barabbas is he is he in the Bible who's who's Barabbas I heard some individuals uh, speaking about him yesterday, and they were asking, where is he in the Bible? Barabbas? So this mystery man is called Barabbas, and today we have one goal, and it's this. It is to discover who Barabbas is. That's it. And there's only one question that we're going to ask today, and it's this. Who is Barabbas. That's it. The purpose of our meeting today is to find out who, is to discover who Barabbas is. And our one question is, who is Barabbas? Let's meet the man they call Barabbas and see what he's all about in Matthew 27, starting at verse 15. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished. Matthew 27, verse 15. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished. And at that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. 
Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you? Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him saying, Have nothing to do with that just man, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? Which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, What then shall I, shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all said to him, Let him be crucified. Then the governor said, Why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. And all the people answered and said, His blood be upon us and on our children. And so it was so. Then he released Barabbas to them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Look at verse 25 for a moment. What an interesting statement. I am innocent. I am innocent of the blood of this just person. Think about that for a moment. Okay, so you, you acknowledge that he's innocent, but you're condemning him to death. So you're charging him as you would a guilty man, even though you recognize that he's innocent. And yet you yourself say that you are innocent. There's a man who you know he's not guilty, but you are condemning him to death as though he were guilty and then you wash your hands and say I'm innocent of this man's blood side note no one who sheds innocent blood will ever be not guilty I'm going to say that again no one who sheds innocent blood will ever be in the category of the not guilty so he sheds innocent blood, but he sees himself as not guilty. And this is not the truth. You've never been innocent, Pilate. You were born in sin, and you don't know who you are. You have never in your life been innocent. And today you are definitely guilty of the shedding of this innocent man's blood. And the irony is, the only one who could actually make you innocent is this man. It's only his blood that could actually make you innocent. That's the irony right here. I remember a uh, scene in The Passion 
of Christ and it speaks about uh, Simon of Cyrene. And Simon of Cyrene, you can find this character in Luke 23, 26, Mark 27, 32, and also um, uh, Mark 15, 21, Luke 23, 26, and Matthew 27, 32. But this character, Simon of Cyrene, uh, the passion of the Christ, if you remember this character, he, he shows up and then he makes this statement. He says, I am an innocent man forced to carry the cross of the guilty. And when he said that, it just, it just stood out to me. He says, I am an innocent man forced to carry the cross of the guilty. And I'm like, no. Again, you are not innocent. And in fact, he is the one who is carrying your cross and the cross that you're uh, uh, carrying just for a moment of time, that's actually yours. You're carrying your own cross. So here you have a man who is guilty, a man who is not innocent, believing that he's forced to carry the cross of a man who actually is innocent. I know this is... <laughs> are you getting it? But then you have Jesus who's actually innocent. He's not guilty. But he willingly carries the cross of a guilty man. And there's some, some confusion here in the story. Those who believe that they're innocent and those who are not. And what I pull from this is that he was completely unable, back to Pilate, he was completely unable to see his sin. He was completely unable to see his sin. Second Samuel chapter 11 tells a story Verse 1, and it says, It happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon. But David remained at Jerusalem. Then the Bible says this, and then it happened. At the time when kings were supposed to go to battle, David remained in Jerusalem, he was supposed to be with his men in battle, but he remained home. And the Bible says, and then it happened. What happened? What happened was this. He goes on his rooftop. He spots this woman. She's very beautiful to behold, the Bible says. Then the Bible says that he inquires of her. He inquires of her. After he inquires of her, he discovers that she is a married woman, and he discovers that her name is Bathsheba, and he discovers that actually she is the wife of his servant, of his soldier, Uriah. So he inquires, and this information is revealed to him, but he doesn't care, because he's consumed with lust. The Bible says that he then he sleeps with her, she very quickly tells him that she's pregnant. So now David has a scheme and he has a plan. Uriah, again, he's with the men on the battlefield and he says, pull Uriah off the battlefield, bring him home to his wife. And the plan was for him to get Uriah to sleep with his wife so that he would never know that David was actually the father of the baby. But Uriah was a man, a very honorable man. And Uriah, when he came back to the king, and the king said, hey, go spend some time with your wife. That night, Uriah spends the, the night, 
The Bible says on the, on the floor, on the floor by the king's door. And he says, I will not. He says to himself, I'm not going to go in to be with my wife while my men are on the battlefield. That would not be right. So David, he's panicking now, and he tries for, for a few more nights to get Uriah to go and to be with his wife, but he will not. He even gets him drunk and tries to get him to be with his wife, but he will not. So then David says, all right. He sends a note. Listen to this. With Uriah, this is how honorable Uriah was. This is how trusted this man was, that David writes a note. And within that note, the note says that Uriah is supposed to go to the front line of the battlefield. And then the note tells the commander of the army, Joab, that in the fiercest part of the battle, all of the, all of the soldiers must withdraw and leave Uriah on the front line. And he gives Uriah the letter to take to Joab. With his own death warrant. And Uriah takes this letter to, to Joab. And Joab reads it. And so he does. So they fight against their enemies. And Uriah is on the front line. He's fighting for his king. He's fighting for his God. He's fighting for his country. And they leave him. And they retreat. And he's slain and he's killed right there. And David, how does he respond? He marries Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. She mourns for her husband, and then very quickly, he marries her. And then we get to 2 Samuel chapter 12. And we're going to read this, because David was completely unable to see his own sin. 2 Samuel 12. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ulam which he had bought and nourished. And it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom. And it was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the men who would come to him. Verse 5. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the men. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. He was furious. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives. Basically what he's saying here is he's saying, and I don't use this language, but he's saying, I swear to God. That's what he's saying. He's saying, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. 
And he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Then Nathan said to the man, and you could hear a pin drop. And Nathan says, You, you are the man. Nathan looks at him and he says, You, you are that man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping, and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife, and have killed, and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house. And by the way, David's house was never the same again. Because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the son. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. He could finally see his sin. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the children also who is born to you shall surely die. The child also who is born to you shall surely die. Then Nathan departed to his house. And David, again, was not able to see his own sin. And the prophet Nathan told him a story. And when he heard that story, he was enraged. He was, he was furious. Until he found out that he actually was the man in the parable. He was the man in the story. And if David was an old man, when he heard that, he would have had a heart attack right there. When he heard that statement, you are the man. And he, and he hears this and David gets a revelation. And he gets the revelation because he was able to look into someone else's life. He was able to look into someone else's story. And judgment and justice is what we always want for others. But we cry mercy for ourselves. Judgment and justice is what we always want for others, but we cry mercy for ourselves. And sometimes you have to think like this. David again got a revelation when he took himself outside of the story and everything became clear to him. And sometimes you have to think like this. You have to think outside of yourself. You have to remove yourself from the equation for you to be able to see clearly. Ask your spouse what it's like being married to you. Ask them. 
Ask your spouse what it's like being married to you. Husbands, ask yourself. How would you counsel a man that treated his wife the way that you treat yours? How would you counsel a man that treated his wife the way that you treat yours? Fathers, how would you counsel a man that treats his son the way that you treat yours? Mothers, how would you counsel a woman that treats her daughter the way that you treat yours? What advice would you give to them? I bet the advice that you give would be great. Amazing advice. Sometimes you've got to take yourself out of the equation. And David gets this revelation as he looks into the life of someone else. And I think you get the point. So who is Barabbas? Back to Barabbas. So who is this man? Who is Barabbas? Jesus switched places with Barabbas. And let's pause for a moment and look at Barabbas. He's a man again mentioned in the first five books of the Bible. In Matthew 27 and verse 16 it says, He was a notorious prisoner. Listen to me, Matthew 27, 16. We're speaking of Barabbas. It says he was a notorious prisoner. Mark 15 and verse 7. He was imprisoned with the insurrectionists who had committed murder. He hung out with and he was a part of an armed group that rebelled against the governing authorities. And in Luke 23, 19, he was thrown in prison for rebellion and murder. John 18 and verse 40 says Barabbas was a robber. Acts 3 labels Barabbas as a murderer. And Pilate has the audacity to say, choose. This man was a robber, he was a thief, he was a rebel. He was a killer. Jesus, what had he done? He opened the eyes of the blind and Pilate is saying, choose, choose what? What is there to to choose? All Jesus ever did was love people. He opened the eyes of the blind. He healed the sick. He cleansed the leper. He raised the dead. He set the captives free. He cast out demons. He fed thousands and thousands of people. He forgave sinners, transformed lives, loved his father, prayed to his father. He worked miracles. And Pilate says, choose between this rebel, this Robber, this thief, this killer, this murderer, he says, choose. And the people, they do just that. And the people, they choose Barabbas. What? The people. They choose Barabbas. And Jesus lost the popular vote. Wow. Jesus lost the popular vote to Barabbas. 
Did you hear and did you understand the sinful truths that I spoke about this man called Barabbas? I hope you heard it and I hope you understood it. And this is the depravity of man at its finest. Right here. We choose sin over righteousness every time. Jesus versus Barabbas. Light versus darkness. Spirit versus flesh. The real son of the father versus the fake son of the father. By the way, Barabbas, his name meant son of the father. So you have the real son of God versus the the counterfeit son of the father. You have the giver of life versus the taker of life, for he was a murderer. And the people, they say, Barabbas. We have one who gave to another what belonged to himself. And then we have one who took from another what did not belong to himself. We have one who united the people through his blood. And we had one who scattered the people through his riots and rebellion. And the people, they say, absolutely, give us Barabbas. They choose, they chose Barabbas. For all the Americans in the room, just a little side note. Everyone kind of perked up right there when I I said that. The kingdom of God is not a democracy. The kingdom of God, my friends, is not a democracy. The kingdom of God is not a democracy. Truth is not a democracy. It's a monarchy. It's a monarchy. The king speaks, and what the king says goes. The king speaks and we willingly submit to his voice whether we agree or whether we don't. That's how the kingdom works. That's how, that's how the word works. That's how truth works. Romans 3, 4 says, Let God be true and every man a liar. Indeed, let God be true and every man a liar. And the verse before that says, For what if some did not believe, will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Absolutely not. Indeed, let God be true and every man a liar. It doesn't matter how many, how many people vote on a thing. It doesn't make it right or truth. We find our truth at the Way City Church in the Scriptures. We find our truth in the Word of God and in the Word of God only. So it doesn't matter how many, how many people disagree with the truths found in this book. It means nothing. The people, the total depravity of man, the people will always choose sin and unrighteousness and ungodliness. That is their nature. But God's word tells us what we are to believe and what we are to think. So he is, Barabbas is, let's analyze his life, he's, he's guilty. We all know that, for sure. Barabbas is a guilty man. He's imprisoned, he's on death row. And he's positive 
Barabbas is 100% sure he is certain that he is going to die. I want you to hear me. This man knows that he's guilty. He's been condemned. He's on death row. He's just waiting to die. He knows he's going to die. And then he sees Jesus. And Jesus is beaten and Jesus is bloody. And Barabbas knows that this man has already received his punishment for whatever he's supposed to have done. So he, he sees him and he knows, okay, this man's already received his punishment for sure. He knows that and he sees that. And Pilate asks the crowd, who should I release? And Barabbas is thinking, get over this already. Get over this already. Stop, stop playing games with me. This guy has already paid the price for his so-called crimes. And you don't crucify a man that's already paid the price, who's already been scourged. So Barabbas is like, stop playing games. Let's get this over with. Barabbas is thinking to himself, surely today is the day. Today is the day that I die. He knows that. He's, he's certain of that. Today's the day that they hang me on a cross and that I die. Somebody say, but Jesus. Say it again. But Jesus. Barabbas knows he's going to die. He's destined to die. He's guilty of his sins. But Jesus. This is a very... Listen, this is a very simple, true story. And you don't need to be a deep Bible scholar to understand it. If Jesus was not present, then Barabbas would be dead. Very simple. If he wasn't present, then Barabbas would be dead. So then let me ask you a few questions. Today, starting with this one. What type of life should Barabbas have lived after this? That's your question. He was destined to die. 100% he was sure. He knew it. Today's the day that I die. But Jesus shows up. And I could imagine his story. I could imagine his, his testimony. And he's like, I knew I was going to die. And the people, they were, they were enraged at me. I had never seen the crowd so angry. They were, they, were, they, were, they were crazy. And I knew today they were going to crucify me. But then as I listened a little longer, I actually realized that the anger, actually, it was not for me, but it was for the man that was standing next to me. And then something strange happened, something crazy happened. The people began to shout my name. They began to scream my name. And at first I thought it was to be crucified. And then I realized it was to be released. And then you would never guess what happened. They literally took the shackles off my hands and off my feet. And at that very moment, I walked through the crowd 
And I was free. Just like that. What type of life do you think Barabbas should have lived? Ask yourself that question. Just curious. What type of life do you think Barabbas should have lived? One of repentance. Absolutely. Absolutely one of repentance. Jesus took his place literally. Literally took his place. This is one of the first individuals where we really see that great exchange. And Barabbas, at the end of his testimony, I'm sure he said something like this. I learned a new word that day. And that word was grace. That word was grace. And he walks and he's free. Now let me tell you this. The truth is we have no idea what happened to Barabbas after this. He appears and then he disappears within the same chapter. We have no idea how his life ended. But what kind of life do you think he should have lived? And and I believe I know. For me, Barabbas walked out of the courtyard and he began to tell people what Jesus had done for him. He began to share about amazing grace and amazing love. And Barabbas, every opportunity that he had to tell people about this story of redemption and of ransom and of freedom, he took the opportunity and he shared it with others. But I don't know that. I hope he did that. But I don't know that. What if Barabbas left the courtyard and robbed another man on the way home? What if Barabbas left the courtyard and, and he killed again? He took more lives. What if Barabbas left the courtyard and he started several more riots and rebellions? What if he did that? And I'm seeing faces and people are shaking their heads and people are bowing their heads like, no, 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 no. But what if he did? These are all real legitimate questions. What kind of words would you use to describe the rabbits? What kind of words? And I want to ask you guys. That question. Just throw some words out there. What kind of words would you use? Ungrateful. Ungrateful. Yep. Confused. Confused. Yeah. Selfish. Selfish. Mm-hmm. What else? Roots. Hmm? Roots. Brute. Brute. Okay. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. So here's a man, he's, he's ungrateful, he's, he's rude, he's, he's, he's brute, he's disrespectful, if Barabbas did that. What do you think Barabbas experienced? What do you think he felt? Throw some words out. What do you think he felt 
when he found out that he was going to be free that day? What do you think he felt? Throw some words out there. Shock, relief. What else? Nice and loud. Joy, con- confused. Lucky, yeah, okay, yeah. So we see, so, so there's, there's hope for him, there's, there's happiness, there's, there's joy, he's cheerful. And I think that we all in this room, we all believe that, G, that, that Barabbas should have spent the rest of his life walking with Jesus. I think we all believe that, we all know that, right? Right? Yes, right. And I want to tell you today that you are that man. You are the man. You are Barabbas. I am Barabbas. I told you in the beginning, there's no man that I identify with more in scripture probably than this one man. Because I am Barabbas. Because you, my friend, you are Barabbas. Whatever life you think Barabbas should have lived, all those words that you just threw out there, of how he should have responded to to grace. How do you respond to grace? How do you you walk with Christ after being redeemed and being ransomed? What's your walk like with him? Because it's easy to look at Barabbas and say, yeah, man, Barabbas Barabbas should have, you know, man should have told everyone about Jesus. Do you tell people about Jesus? It's a little different now when you're in the hot seat, right? It's a little different now when you realize that you are that man. It's easy, it's easy to look at Barabbas and say, Barabbas should have done X, Y, and Z. Absolutely. How have you responded to grace? How have you responded to redemption? How have you responded to it? Now listen, when I was speaking about Barabbas, no one had thoughts about legalism. No one had thoughts about works. So when I'm speaking to you, don't let that enter your mind. Because when it was Barabbas, Barabbas should have done X, Y, and Z. Now that it's you, don't switch that up on me, alright? Okay. Because it was not about works when it was Barabbas, or legalism. And it's not with you either. It is reasonable for us. If we have been redeemed, like Barabbas, it is only reasonable, this is our reasonable service, to worship him and to walk worthy of his calling upon us. It is reasonable. It is only reasonable for you are that man. You are Barabbas and I am Barabbas. And however you would have expected Barabbas to respond to grace, again, that's how you are to Respond. Do you understand what Christ has done for you? And I'll ask you that question this morning. Do you understand what Christ has done for you? Do you get it? Do you understand it? And if you're struggling... We're seeing that I, I want you to see it again through the eyes of Barabbas. That will help you to, to understand it. But do you understand what Christ has done for you? Because what he did for Barabbas, he did for you. 
exactly what he did for him to the same degree that as what he has done for you. Do you understand that? I've heard this often, you know, why on earth did, did Adam eat the fruit? I wish Adam had never eaten the fruit. Right? How, how we love to blame people. And when I was a kid, I used to think it's all Adam's fault. It's all Adam's fault. Why did he have to eat the fruit? Well, let me ask you the question. What do you bite on that Satan presents to you? It's easy to look at Adam and say it's all his fault. But what does Satan present to you that you feed off of, that you bite on, that you partake of? Again, it's so easy to look at other people. It's so easy, man. To look at other people and say they should have, if it were not for, and create all these excuses. I hope that you are aware as we get ready to conclude today that what you bite, your children will taste. What you, my friends, what you bite, your children will taste. What you eat, your grandchildren will Digest. Be, be careful how you, how you walk. This is a, a word today that is for the unbeliever as well as the believer. It is for both. For you are Barabbas, and how will you respond? And I pray that you don't take that lightly. What he did for Barabbas, he did for you. And as I get ready to conclude here, I want to ask you, who is the story really about? Who is the story about? It's about Jesus. Is the story about Jesus? Or is it? Is this story about Jesus? Or is this story also about Barabbas? Is the story just about just as much about Barabbas as it is about Jesus. For Jesus came to Barabbas. He came for him. And if I remember correctly, Luke 19 tells us what? For he came to seek and to save that which was lost. So maybe, maybe, maybe the story is just as much about Barabbas as it is about Jesus. Because Jesus came for him. Jesus came for Barabbas. That's why he came. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's why he came. He didn't come here for himself. But he came here for Barabbas. He came here for you. And he came here for me. That's why he came. 
So the story is not just about him, but it's about Barabbas's. It's about the lost. That's why we breathe, that's why we're here. I think God would much prefer our worship through witness rather than our worship through words. Our worship through, through witnessing, through, through sharing of this great love. Let's, let's worship Him through, through this instead of just worshipping Him through words. Both are good. But I think if he had to pick, to pick one, I think he'll choose worship through witness. Because that's what Jesus is concerned about. He's concerned about Barabbas's. He's concerned about you. And that's why he came and that's why he died. Not for himself, but for you. Do you understand that today? Do you understand? Can you receive that revelation? That what he did for him, he did... For you, God takes the place of a man. The story of Barabbas and his release from condemnation is a remarkable parallel to the story of every single believer. We stood guilty before God, deserving of death. Romans 3, 23 tells us, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Romans 6, 23, For the wages of sin... Is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. So we stood guilty before God and deserving of death, but then due to no influence of our own, Jesus, somebody say, but Jesus. Jesus was chosen to die in our stead. He, the innocent one, bore the punishment. The innocent one bore the punishment that you and I, that we rightly deserved. And we, just like Barabbas, we were allowed to go free. We were allowed to, to walk and to go free with no condemnation. As Romans 8 and verse 1 tells us. For there is thou, therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And we, like Barabbas, we've walked and we've been set free. And Jesus suffered once for our sins, as the Bible tells us in 1 Peter 3.18, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God. Let's stand up, please. Bow your heads, please. We spoke of the great exchange today. The greatest exchange in all of history took place right here. The greatest exchange in all of history took place right here with Barabbas and we got to witness it. The not guilty takes the place of the guilty. The righteous takes the place of the unrighteous. The one who knew no sin takes the place of the one who only knew sin. The spiritual one takes the place of the natural one. The good takes the place of the evil. And God takes the place of a man. 
Barabbas also represents the one. Jesus leaves the 99 and he goes after the one. He goes after the Barabbas. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. As you have your eyes closed right now, I want you to think of this. I want you to imagine this. Could you imagine if Barabbas responded to Jesus and the crowd and he said, No, I do not accept my release. I do not accept my freedom. Could you imagine if Barabbas responded like this? And Barabbas said, I want to pay for my crimes. I want to pay for my sins. It would be foolish. Because he cannot. He cannot pay the price for sin. Your years served in prison cannot erase your sins. And for some of you in this place today, if you died this afternoon, you will pay the price for your sins because you have not yet acknowledged Jesus Christ as your payment, as your ransom for sin. As easy and as simple as the transaction was between Jesus and Barabbas, that's how easy it is for you. You recognize that you are indeed a sinner. You recognize that you deserve to pay the price for your sins, but you also recognize that Jesus is the only ransom that God can accept for your sins. So if you're in here today and you don't know Jesus, if you're in here today and you're not saved and you're paying the price for your own sins, and by the way, it will take us an eternity to pay the price for our sins. An eternity will never be enough to pay the price for our sins. So Jesus has offered you Away. I'm not speaking about the person next to you. I'm speaking to you. But Jesus has offered you a way. Don't be foolish today and try to pay the price for your own sins. So if you're in here today and you say, I, Jesus hasn't paid the price for my sin and I want Jesus to pay the price for my sin. Right where you are, I'm not asking anyone to come forward, but with your eyes closed, everyone, I want you to just lift up your hand and say, I need Jesus. Right where you are. Amen. 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 Anyone else, just lift up your hand and, and just say, that's for me. If you were to lose your life tonight, do you have an assurance of your salvation? Do you know that you will go to be with him? And if you say, I do not, then I would say to you, stop gambling with your life. Make Jesus your Lord and Savior. And if you say, that's me, I do not have the assurance of my salvation. I hope to go to heaven, but I just don't know. But I want to. Then let me see your hand. Right where you're standing. Amen. You can put your hands down. Jesus came for you. You are Barabbas. I am Barabbas. I'm going to pray with you right now. I would also like you, if you have a card, just to fill out your information and just write salvation on that card. 
so that I can follow up with you. But I'm going to pray for you right now. We're not going to wait, but we're going to pray right now as you have acknowledged Him. As you have seen your sin and acknowledged Him as the only payment and ransom for your sin. Then right now, we're going to pray. So I want you to, to pray with me and I'm going to ask everyone else to pray with me too. But from your heart, pray with me. Say, Lord Jesus. Friends, let's pray in faith. Say, Lord Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner and that my sins separate me from you. But Lord Jesus, but Lord Jesus, I also recognize, I also know that you died upon the cross personally for me. Wash me clean. Forgive me from all of my sins. I no longer want to be Lord of my own life, but I want you to be Lord of my life. I receive today the free gift of salvation. Thank you, Lord, for loving me, for dying for me, for choosing me, and for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Amen. Amen. And listen to me. If you prayed that prayer from your heart, this is what the Bible says. The Bible says you have been... The Bible says this, as far as the east is from the west. That's as far as your sins are from God. The Bible says He's taken all of your sins and He's thrown them away into a place called the sea of forgetfulness, never to be remembered Again. Never to be remembered. Again. And he has called you. He has called you and you have responded to him. We'd love to hear from you. Visit us at thewaycitychurch.org.